Hello and welcome to the world of my study. I never thought in a month of Sundays or even in years of Sundays the time would come when I'd be trying to make a recording for you to see at home from this place. Please forgive me if it all looks rather amateur. I'm sure we'll be getting better at this and more skilled at it as the weeks go on. I was to have gone to the church and made this recording but that's impossible because it's quite possible not probable just possible that one of my family might themselves have picked up the virus and so we're confined to quarters and that's how I find myself here well maybe it's that coronavirus is going to make vloggers of us all and this is my first shot in thank you for listening I've been reflecting, I've, you can't help but reflect, so how do we find stability, how do we find peace in these really, really challenging days? And I think that is the first thing we have to acknowledge. It's no good, I feel, just trying to reach for verses and applying them higgledy-piggledy before I actually come to terms with my own insecurity and how difficult it is to see what's going on, to know how to process it. Well, I'm going to share with you very briefly some thoughts that have come to me as I've meditated on and read and reread a psalm written by King David. And the first thing to know really is advice that comes from someone who's been through a storm surely has more value than advice that just comes from an ivory tower. And King David knew plenty about challenge in his life. We know that in his life he experienced more than an average amount of hardship, challenge, and even sickness and death within his immediate family. People who have personal experience of walking through the fire with God can talk and write with a proven track record and authenticity which makes them worth listening to. David's experience as he writes the Psalms with family rejection, much fighting, the experience of being a refugee. Well, how did he find peace or even stability? I'm going to suggest that we could get some very good help from Psalm 46. And it's going to be read for us now. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So I'm boiling my talk down to some very short points. And the first one is this. Surely the main point in this psalm, repeated many times, is to remember this. God is present in the middle of trouble. The prayer of Psalm 46 begins with the words, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. You might have heard the story of a man who is said to have stumbled into a cave on an island he was exploring. And there on the cave wall he found etched some letters written obviously by a former traveller. As he read and deciphered the letters, at first he thought it said, God is nowhere. But as he pondered them more and more, he thought, no, that's not what it says. It really reads, God is now here. And I think it's for certain that God is with us because we're told in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And if you see trouble, and we do, we need to see God's ever-present help in the middle of it. In fact, God's made that his lifetime task. When God sees us in trouble, he makes it his mission to help. I think that's a good definition of mission, really. God's love going out of its way. To the children of Israel, the Lord says in Exodus chapter 3, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. That's Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I love a little verse that you probably have skipped over many times in Luke chapter 7. Talking about Jesus, Luke writes that people said, God has come to help his people. That's exactly right. That's what he loves to do. So the theme tune of this psalm and the first point that we should remember is this. God really is with us. It's mentioned in the first verse, as I've been saying. It's mentioned in verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. And it's mentioned again at the very end of the psalm. God is as close as one prayer away. I remember once sitting next to uh, a pilot of a commercial airline. He'd retired now. And actually, we'd never met before. And we were just having supper together, surrounded by friends and uh, I asked him a question. I asked him if, in his experience, he'd ever been afraid. I can't remember why I asked him the question, but I promise you, it wasn't as odd at the time as it sounds now. And he told me a very interesting story. He told me that at one point in his life, he'd been flying a passenger airline and he'd been hijacked. And he found himself sitting uh, on the tarmac having landed obviously and tied to his seat with cord and waiting 
to see if he was going to be murdered, shot, or what would happen. And he sat there on the tarmac in the heat of the day and the cold of the night until he was rescued. But I asked him, well, during that time, did you ever pray? And he said, no, no, I didn't pray. Because I thought it would be unfair on God if I turned to him in the bad times, having ignored him in the good times. Now that sounds plausible. It sounds reasonable. But it's wrong. And the reason it's wrong is because, marvellously and very extraordinarily, there is no pride in God whatsoever. God will receive a cry from the heart from you, from me, from a thief on the cross, from anyone at any stage in their life. And it might be when times are good, it might be when times are desperate, it might be when you're afraid, it might be that you'd never turned to him ever before. But I'm reassuring you, God is there for you and will receive you and will receive me if we'll turn to him and ask for help. God is an ever-present help in trouble. And then the second point I'd like us to take away from this psalm is also in verse 2, and don't worry, we're not going to crawl through this whole psalm uh, at quite a snail's pace forever. In verse 2 it says, Therefore we will not fear. Now we've been trained to think, when you see the word therefore in scripture, you have to ask, what's it therefore? And what it's therefore is for two reasons, really. Number one, in danger, it's so easy to fear. There's almost a contagion of fear. When you go into a supermarket and you see that the shelves are ransacked and empty, it's very natural to fear. When you fixate on the news cycles and the torrent of events unfold, we never thought we'd see in our lives. When life proves just as unpredictable as it really is, and the only predictable thing ahead seems to be more suffering, how do you not fear? When you see pictures in the newspapers of makeshift mortuaries being built in London. Well, here's how you don't fear. Remember who it is that's with you, the Lord, the Lord, the all-powerful one. There are some very easy, simple illustrations that ring home with us. As a child, you might remember putting your hand in the hands of one of your parents and just feeling safe under their protection. Quite right. And when you put your hand in the hand of God, do you not feel safe under his protection? And the psalmist, David, looks around and he uses the image of things that look permanent, things like mountains. They look like they'd never be moved. But he says, even if something as large as a mountain were to shake and to be moved into the middle of a sea, I wouldn't fear because the Lord Almighty is with us. There's a true story that I was told many years ago that's both annoying and helpful all at the same time. Corrie ten Boom, who many of us know about through her book, The Hiding Place, grew up in Holland during World War II. And then when she was a young girl, she was incarcerated in Ravensbrück concentration camp. And she chronicles what it was like 
in her book? Well, I heard a story about her in her old age. In her late 70s, I think, she was visiting some people in Gillingham, in London. And in fact, she was talking at a number of church events. And those who had been hosting her, looking after her for a few days, had grown very, very fond of her and were seeing her off on a train station. And she got on the train and they stood on a platform. And in those days, you could open the window. And she opened the window. And she leant out and she said these words as the train disappeared. Don't wrestle. Nestle. I said again, it's so annoying, but it happens to be true. Don't wrestle, nestle. That's what it means, actually, to take refuge. God is our refuge and strength. I think David was an expert at taking refuge. Time and again in his prayers, he says things like this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they feel safe. Have you done that? Of course it's challenging to try and get our eyes off the newspapers, off coronavirus and onto the king. It is challenging to get our thoughts on God, but we're up for it. Come and magnify the Lord with me. That's what the Psalms ask us to do, isn't it? And then when I begin to do that, I remember... The Lord is still on the throne. He's still reigning in heaven. He's still the sovereign Lord. Yes, we are getting through turbulence. Yes, I'm very challenged as some of the things I relied upon for stability come crashing around all around me. But now I'm discovering really where my trust is invested. And it is still invested in the Lord. And remember this. Remember that we don't do this alone. We walk through this chapter together. We are God's family of Holy Trinity. In verse 7, David writes, the Lord Almighty is with us. Not just with me, with us together. I can tell you that over the last few years, many years, I've seen the kindness and love and care and the real difference that it makes to be part of the family of God of Holy Trinity. Small groups are going to become more and more important. We all need each other's help at this time. Do you know, it's recorded in scripture for us that there was a time in David's life when he just couldn't get by on his own. He needed the help of a friend and his friend was Jonathan. We're told that Jonathan strengthened his hand in God 1 Samuel chapter 23 verse 16. We're going to be strengthening one another time and time again. I'm near the end of this message but I want to share two more points very briefly. David writes, come and see what the Lord has done. And instead of thinking about and focusing on things that the newspapers and the web pages are telling us, come and see what the Lord has done. The Lord can do and has done things that for us will be impossibly difficult. David picks out that the Lord has ended wars. What do you think the most remarkable thing is that God has ever done? I wonder. 
for Moses' generation, the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea might have been it. Maybe for Nehemiah's generation, restoring the fortunes of the people coming back from exile. For David himself, maybe he'd want to talk to us about his time in the ring with Goliath. Or maybe he would talk rather more privately and quietly about how amazing it was that God could forgive him after he committed adultery and after he'd murdered Uriah. And what about Jesus's time on earth? What do you think of as being the most difficult, the most amazing? Is it the healings, I wonder, or the walking on water, turning water into wine? Not really possible in my head to mark them out of 10 for difficulty because they all to me look impossible but for God he could do it. I think Jesus tells us what he finds most remarkable about his own ministry. He called his hour of glory the cross and he always talked about the cross and resurrection in the same breath. And these two things are indeed as Paul would later write to the Corinthians of first importance Christ died for my sins, and he rose again, conquering death. What difference does that make? This is my final takeaway point. In verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And for me personally, and I hope for you, Today and tomorrow and every day going forward is going to be just like every day of my life since December 1980 when I handed my life over to Jesus Christ and I declared to him then and I say the same today I will trust you Lord I will be still and know that you are God and as I do that every day and as you do too whether it's in the company of your friends in front of a screen, whether it's on your own, know that the whole family of HT and Christians throughout the world are doing exactly the same thing. We're being still and knowing that the Lord reigns. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that today you're still the Lord God Almighty. Thank you that we know from experience, our own and other people's, that you're an ever-present help in trouble. Come to us individually, as families, as your church family, as a nation. Come to us throughout the world and give us your peace. Help us through the power of your spirit. Lead us through these challenging times and speak to us through the scriptures. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.